All right, if you would, open in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Philippians 2, 14 to 18. Uh, Once again, the words uh, to this passage of Scripture also ought to be uh, in your bulletin that was available on the table when you arrived. We're going to continue our series through the book of Philippians this morning as we are in verses 14 through 18. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Tesla Cybertruck. You might be familiar with Tesla vehicles, but I don't know if you're familiar with the Tesla Cybertruck. It is this very modern-looking, um, sleek, uh, uh, just just uh, engineering and design marvel with its sharp angles, with its uh, power, and with its uh, uh, just just very uh, I, I, don't, I don't know the word, but, but, but like metallic silver paint and, and look to the color of it. Uh, and I was watching a TV special where Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, uh, who designed and built a Cybertruck was uh, doing a, a, a segment about the truck with Jay Leno, if you remember that guy, uh, from a few years ago. And uh, Leno, uh, who was a car aficionado and uh, was, was driving around a cyber truck with Musk, and as they were driving around, uh, Elon Musk told him his favorite feature of all the features about the cyber truck, whether it's a, uh, the power that it's entirely electrically run or uh, all the design and everything, Musk, his favorite feature of the cyber truck is that it has bulletproof glass. And uh, Leno asked him, well, why bulletproof glass? And he said, well, why not? And uh, Musk then said, you know, it's a truck that has come from the future. In fact, it's a truck for the apocalypse. And you know, that got me thinking. If I'm going to be in the apocalypse, or if the apocalypse is coming... You know, you think about, I, I always think of apocalypse like, like fires raging uncontrolled and storms crashing and the supply chain falling apart and people having to live off the land and fend for themselves and, and just kind of all of that stuff. And so I think, you know, a cyber truck might be good. But given what we have just gone through the last few weeks, or last few months, excuse me, I wish it was just a few weeks, but last few months with the pandemic, I thought to myself, you know, okay, so you envision an apocalypse where you need a truck with bulletproof glass the one we just walked through was one where we didn't go out and buy bulletproof trucks all of a sudden but we just stockpiled toilet paper (laughs) you know sometimes reality is a little different than we would envision it so if you're thinking about the apocalypse though and you're, you're thinking about okay what do i do for a future that is uncertain and a future that in fact not only is uncertain but looks to be like it could be a little scary how do i prepare How do I prepare? How do I respond to all of the uncertainty, not just the uncertainty, but all of the things around me and in my world that would produce or provoke a sense of fear within me or a sense of uneasiness or a sense of anxiety about what tomorrow holds? How do I prepare for the apocalypse that seems to be coming? Well, in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul helps us to understand that. And he shows us the key isn't in going and buying cyber trucks or stockpiling toilet paper or anything like that. He shows us the key is in our attitudes or in our words. He shows us the idea that, that when we abstain or when we keep from 
grumbling and from disputing and bickering with one another and we set our eyes on Christ, we shine brightly in the midst of a dark world. When we don't give ourselves to grumbling, we don't give ourselves to bickering with one another, but we set our eyes on Christ and rejoice and be glad in Him. We shine in the midst of a dark world. Follow along with me as I read Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So we abstain or we keep ourselves from grumbling and complaining, and in this we shine brightly as we treasure Christ and hold close to him no matter what may come. We're going to see this idea work itself out in three steps. We're going to see it in our words and then our witness and then the worthiness of this aim. Our words, our witness, and then the worthiness of this aim. First, our words, verse 14, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is interesting to me because uh, previously as Neil preached, Neil Feeney preached uh, two weeks ago on verses 12 and 13, um, uh, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Neil preached this sermon, and if you haven't heard it, it's a really good sermon. Don't tell Neil I said that, but it, it's, it's a really, uh, it really ministered to and, and edified and uh, uplifted my soul. Um, but, um, as he preached this, you know, this passage, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You read that, and then you think the Apostle Paul is going to say, okay, so in light of working out your salvation in, in fear and trembling, go spend weeks fasting, or go spend, uh, be resolved to spend four, five, six hours a day in prayer and in scripture meditation and scripture memorization, or go try to uh, share the gospel with everyone you know and try to learn biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek and all of that. You would expect just, just incredible, incredible uh, uh, exhortations in light of this charge to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or at least I would expect that. But then the Apostle Paul in verse 14, what's he say to do if you're working out your salvation? He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling or arguing with one another. It seems kind of lowering the bar. At least that's how it seems to me. But then if you think about it a little more, I'm not sure that it's lowering the bar that much because how easy is it to do all things without grumbling or disputing? I think, oh, okay, that's fairly easy. Well, let's do a little test here. Uh, try to turn on the news and watch it for, a, for 30 minutes one night without starting to have that rear up within you, grumbling and, and just kind of getting frustrated and worked up about what you see unfolding. Try to sit in a, a, business, in, in a meeting at work where you and, and your coworkers are hearing about new policies and processes and procedures that you now have to do that you disagree with or that you don't think are wise or you think are just troublesome and are going to add 
red tape to your work. Try to have a conversation in the teacher's lounge where you have to, where you're discussing things that you have to do uh, in teaching that have come from the superintendent or the school committee or even from the state. And now they're expecting you to implement it and they don't understand how hard it is in your classroom. Or try to be making plans with your friends to go out and then mom and dad have other plans and tell you you can't. And, and you're texting your friends, oh, my mom and dad are unfair, they're unjust, they can't believe they're doing this. We might think that it's easy to not grumble and complain, but actually it's quite hard. It's quite difficult. But, you know, why does Paul emphasize this? Why this, Paul? Was the church at Philippi just full of a bunch of complainers? Probably no more than any other church is full of complainers. I think that what he's getting at here is that hearts that grumble, hearts that complain, hearts that bicker with one another, argue and dispute with one another, hearts that do that, the grumbling and the complaining and the bickering, those are, sim- are, are symptoms of a deeper sickness. Those are symptoms of a deeper sickness, and they're symptoms of a discontentment with how God has worked, what God has done in your life, and they're symptoms of a lack of trust in God as to what he is going to do in the days, weeks, months, years ahead of my life. When I voice my displeasure, I voice my lack of trust in God. So that's what Paul's getting at here. It's almost as if when we grumble or when we uh, dispute with one another, we are, we are holding up before God. We're saying, God, I know you elected me in eternity past. I know that you sent your son and he died. He atoned for my sins uh, on the cross. I know that you have guarded, you have kept, you have cared for me every step of the journey, every moment of the, of the, of the journey, each and every step. But now we have reached a point, we have reached a mountain that is so high, I think you're probably going to turn back right now. And that is why I'm going to grumble because I don't think I'll make it through. That's what our grumbling and that's what our, particularly our disputing with one another can reveal. And that's what Paul is concerned about as he addresses the church at Philippi. Look at this. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So think about it. What is your grumbling about your school, about your job, about your spouse or lack thereof, or about your kids, your family, your church? What does that reveal about your understanding or your appreciation for, your, your rejoicing in God's goodness and his work in you? You know, I've, I've, I've found that, and, and this is something that hit me hard, as I prepare this and as I think about the grumbling and complaining that I do, um, as, as I was thinking over this, I thought to myself, you know, it doesn't really work to always have an attitude of, oh, God did this, or God did that, or, or why is my work like this, or why is my family like this, or why is, why is my life like this, or why is this like this? And then to come up to somebody I know and be like, hey, can I tell you how good God is? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, they'd say, well, the, I, I've listened to you for the last three years, and it doesn't sound like God's done a lot of good for you, you know? But it's got to go deeper in our hearts. And so Paul's going to help us to work through in seeing this and in seeing how we move uh, beyond it or how we we transition our hearts beyond this grumbling, beyond this bickering with one another. But I want to be mindful here. I want to be mindful. I don't want to just beat up on 
us where where we might be tempted to say all grumbling all all everything like that is is wrong or 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 there's no place for it or anything like that the the reality is is that life is hard the reality is is that life is can can pull us it can stretch us it can it can um, affect us it can hurt us and circumstances can be very painful but the difference between, or, or the, the, the difference between us as, as Christians, us as a church, and the world around us is that there, there's a ballast that we have where we are not promised as Christians that all sources of, uh, all, all things that might provoke us to grumbling will go away. We are promised a source, a hope, a, a, a joy, a promise in Christ that he is with us in the face of whatever might provoke that within us. And so if you're learning about Christianity or you're kind of feeling out Christianity or or attempting to get the feel for it, understand that what I'm saying here is that in Christ, all of your problems don't go away. But in Christ, there's, there's, there's one who is with you. There's one who is near to you. There's one who understands you. And there's one who promises to never leave you or forsake you no matter what you might walk through. And so as we consider our words, let's remember that they are never just words. They're like leaves at the top of a tree that reveal something about the roots and the nutrients down below the surface. And Paul speaks this point in verses 15 and 16 as he highlights the power that our words and our attitudes have before others that we come into contact with in our witness. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, verse 14. Then he says in verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So Paul says a product of not grumbling and disputing is that the, the, the church is set apart in godliness and she is contrasted from the world around her. So as we consider our wit, not just our words, but now how that shapes our witness, let's think about both the condition and the contrast. The condition of our hearts and then the contrast that we have with the world. First, in our condition, Paul describes the church in just this beautiful manner in verse 15. He says that, that, that you may be blameless, you may be innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It's as if Paul is saying that not grumbling or not bickering is a key to understanding and experience of the work of God that, or the work that God is doing in us. It's almost like this. Think of it this way. As I referenced the Cybertruck at the beginning of the sermon, the Cybertruck ought not to be the only thing in our world that seems like it has come from the future. But what Paul is holding up here with uh, talking about the church as blameless, innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The church, we as Christians, in our conduct, in our words, we ought to seem as if we are time travelers from the future. But we ought to seem as if we are time travelers directly from the throne of God who have now come here, who have been placed here, that we might rejoice in and that we might point others towards our God that we hope in. For we hold to the hope of Christ, and as we watch the news or as we watch things unfold that might disgruntle us a little bit, we know that behind that, beyond that, greater than that is the day of Christ that we anticipate, of which nothing can shake, nothing can change, nothing can pull that away. 
you know, consider the last few months. There's been anger at, at like local and state and federal governments. Responses to the pandemic have varied, and there's been varied responses amongst peoples. And, and, and there's just been a lot of anger that has been able to, to fester, that's been able to develop, that's been able to be there. And I understand where that can come from. And, and, and emotions have been hot, and there's, there's, there's great issues with, with public health and with economic concerns and people losing their livelihoods and losing their businesses and um and and and, but but all of these things not negating or not ignoring these very real concerns oftentimes we can find ourselves frustrated because the world or because circumstances are not going the way that i want them to go or the way that you want them to go or the way that we want them to go But as Christians, we can have a different mindset because we are looking forward to a future that is this day of Christ and we can sprint through the finish line of joy in Christ as Paul writes in verse 16. As you hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do you see Paul's aim here? Paul's goal, Paul's reward is the day of Christ. Paul's goal is finishing well as he shepherds, as he leads the church in Philippi, or as he seeks to invest in them. He's got perspective. Parents, how can this influence how you raise your children? Do you harshly rule over them like a constantly unsatisfied boss because you want them to reach a certain point of accomplishment, whether academically or athletically or through some other venue? But what if you meet them in gentleness and understanding because of the hope that you have in Christ? What if your greatest desire and prayer for your children is not for the day of graduation or for the day of, of, of some great competition, but for the day of Christ? Consider how this condition of our hearts contrasts with the world now. We've looked at the condition where, where Paul urges us towards this manner of life that will be without blemish, that will be blameless, that will be innocent. That will stand in contrast from a crooked and twisted generation. This language that Paul used actually uh, of a crooked and twisted generation and doing things without grumbling or disputing, he's echoing back to the people of Israel as they journeyed from uh, Egypt all the way to the promised land. He's echoing back there because God in his power and in his grace had rescued his people out of Egypt and he was carrying them towards the promised land. But throughout their, 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 their journey in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, they were constantly marked by their own grumbling. Oh, God's not going to provide for us. Where's God now? The enemies are encroaching around us. Are we going to make it through this trial? Oh, we should just go back to Egypt. Slavery was better than this. Uh, Slavery was better than the sure death that we are facing. And God always guided and cared for and protected his people. But they were marked as a people who were grumbling, who were disputing. And then evenly, even ultimately, God described them in Deuteronomy 32 as a crooked and twisted generation. So Paul's echoing this and saying, hey, let's not try to be like our ancestors here, our spiritual ancestors. This is a problem that's plagued the people of God. But when the people of God are not taking up this kind of attitude, when the people of God are hoping in the God who has redeemed them, hoping in the God who has come for them, hoping in the God who has met them in his love that has been poured out for us, when the people of God respond that way, we shine differently. We shine as lights in the midst of a dark world. This is the contrast with the world around us. Consider Paul himself. He's in prison because of trumped up, fabricated charges against him, possibly 
though not likely facing execution, and his taste of the goodness of God was so sweet that he couldn't bring himself to grumble against God. While he was watching his plans, his dreams, his prayers seemingly go unmet and unfulfilled. Paul had all these prayers and all these plans for how he was hoping to just continue this missionary enterprise throughout the Mediterranean uh, region. And yet he's spending years in prison falsely. He's just trusting God as he goes. Do you think that the Apostle Paul had the ears of those guards who were watching over him? Do you think that they thought there's something different about this guy? There's something different about his attitude. You see, so much of this world is wired to be fueled by rage. Talk radio and TV, they feed off of rage. You don't turn on cable news in the evening and the host says, you know, folks, it's going to be a short show tonight. Everything's going well in the world. No, you don't see that. Commentators say, no, the world is being ripped apart at the seams. Let me tell you why and let me tell you who you have to blame for it. Social media has given us platforms to pull up our computers or our smartphones and say, all right, world, let me tell you what is wrong with you. I know you've been waiting to hear from me. Now begins a manifesto by Stephen McDonald. Chapter one. No, that's not the way of Christ. For the way of Christ as we as ones who are time travelers from a day far in the future, or maybe not so far in the future. We have the assurance of Christ and we have his present care and his future reign over all things that, that, that stabilizes our hearts in the midst of an uncertain world as we feel we might be marching towards an even scarier future. For Paul says, it's no accident how he lays out this letter. In verses 9 through 11, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul says this is where it's going. Everyone confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, everyone worshiping him, his people finding their, their, uh, uh, their eternal rest in him. He says, work out your salvation then with fear and trembling. And then he says, don't grumble. Don't gripe. Why? Because verse 16, you're holding fast to the word of life. You're holding fast to this message of the gospel. This word of life is literally what it says, a word of life. It is a word that speaks life to us, that, that Jesus Christ comes to us and says, there is a better way than the perpetual cycle of rage and disappointment and of grumbling. There's a better way where you don't look at the world and feel like it is spiraling out of control, but you look at the world and you look at the church and see the people that God is redeeming and see that he is redeeming a people for himself. And one day we will all be finally and completely at rest in him. And so we as a people who have come from the future come without grumbling or disputing. How often do we speak of wanting to see the world change? And yet we ignore that maybe the first way we could see our world change is to change our tongues. Want to shine in the midst of a dark world? Let's resolve to start with our speech. Let's resolve to see it through with hearts that are willing to have our lives consumed by this pursuit. So there's our words, there's our witness shining as lights in, a, in the world holding fast to the word of life. And then there's the worthiness of this aim in verses 17 and 18. Well, at the end of verse 16, Paul says, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. 
Then he says in verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This language here, Paul is speaking of a, of a, of a, a drink, like a, like a glass of wine or something that would be poured over an offering that was being made. And so if the, the lives of the church are these offerings of, of, of people who, who have humbled themselves before God, and their lives now no longer belong to themselves, but belong to God. And Paul's just saying, if I'm the seasoning that is being poured over it, if I'm just one part of the sacrifice seeking to, to further, um, further, further, further enable, further grow, further, further fertilize your sacrifice, then it will not be in vain. It will not be in vain. And I will be glad and I will rejoice with you all. Once again, Paul wasn't writing that he wanted the church at Philippi to give themselves to what many of us would be considered to be great spiritual conquests or accomplishments. He just wanted them, and he was writing for them, that they may be prepared in heart and in soul for the day beyond the disappointment that they feel right now. The day beyond the apocalypse that is to come. One reason this was a worthy goal for Paul and he could languish in prison and yet not cry out in grumbling against his God was because his God was his reward. He says, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Is your heart glad in God? I found sometimes I grumble when the little things that I want to make into God's do not, perform, do, do not perform the work of God for me. Namely, they don't satisfy the deep reaches of my heart. Namely, I find them lacking in giving me what my innermost person wants. That's because that is only found in God himself. And so Paul can be rejoicing in God no matter what may come and rejoicing in God in spite of what the day, what tomorrow may hold because he knows that as for the day of Christ, he will be glad and rejoice and it will not have been in vain. So brothers and sisters, how do we keep from grumbling? How do we keep from bickering? How do we keep from disputing with one another? We do it by setting our eyes upon our God. We do it by setting our eyes upon our God who not only calls us to set our eyes upon Him in the future and what the future may hold, but calls us to set our eyes backwards at what Christ has accomplished. For the day of Christ, as verse 16, I I love this uh, in verse, um, where is it? I'm I'm losing it here. Verse, uh, uh, where does it say day of Christ? 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. The sureness that Paul has that he will not have run or labored in vain at the day of Christ is not only rooted in a future hope, but in a past confidence. For in the past when Christ came, he paid the penalty for our sins in his cross. He paid the penalty for the sins of our grumbling, of our bickering of our disputing. 
of our hearts that don't trust him, of our hearts that don't cling to him. He came once to atone for those sins. He's coming again to come to us that we may find him and that our hearts may run to him and find our reward in him. For when it seems as if the world is marching towards apocalypse and falling apart at the seams, we anticipate a day of Christ that is not a world falling apart at the seams, but it's an anticipation of a day when he will bring all things together and bring his people to himself fully and finally. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let us be a people that as we consider how we prepare for the future, we aren't looking for necessarily trucks with bulletproof glass or we aren't necessarily saying, oh, I've got to go stockpile toilet paper. Although if you have to, that's okay. But we know that preparing for the future is to set our eyes upon our Lord and to prepare for Him and to know that no matter what may come, that with our eyes and our hearts set on Him, our hearts trusting in Him so as to pursue treasuring Him and not grumbling about how He seems to be bringing about things in the world, our lives and our labors and our words will not have been in vain. Brothers and sisters, let's try to, let's resolve together as a church. Our words are so precious and they are so few. Whether they are words together in a context like this or whether they are words together around a dinner table with our families or whether they are words together uh, uh, sitting at the table in the break room at work, whatever they may be, our words are so precious, they are so few. Let us not give them in grumbling about what is happening around us. Let us give them to rejoicing in the goodness of God as if ones who have arrived from a, year, a time far in the future and who are telling those around us of a hope that we have that shines brighter than this world knows, a hope that in fact is a hope in new life in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in you. Would you make us a people of rejoicing and of gladness in you? Would you make us a people that don't join the chorus and the refrain of the world around us? It's a conspiracy of anger, of murmuring, of grumbling, of bickering. Lord, would you help us to be a people that, as we look towards the future, all that we see in the news, all that we see in the conversations we have with those around us, they are bathed in the day of Christ and the promise that we have in Christ. Would you let this hope be a sustaining mercy to our souls? And may Christ shape our words. May his word shape our hearts. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Therefore, may Christ be the treasure of our hearts in all things. It's in his name we pray. Amen.